0: You ever felt let down? (laughs) They ever felt let down just by whatever? Feel just let down? You had an expectation. You had a belief. You had a whatever it is that you thought was going to happen, and then somebody let you down. I don't know. They may uh, may not be that they. They may not even recognize that they did it, you know. There may be something they said or the way they looked at you or the way they, what happened or what they did. And in this changing, so changing sense of where we are and what's going on, just that feeling. And I know uh, we we can easily say, well, people can let you down, but God won't let you down. And yet, uh, the enemy's job is to demoralize us and to make us feel like God has let us down. You know, I prayed, I asked God, I asked the Lord to do something and he didn't do it, he didn't come through like I thought and things didn't happen the way I thought they would and this wasn't, this didn't occur and man, I, you know, it's like, you know, you're climbing the ladder of life and, and you get almost to the top and realize it's on the wrong building. And you think, man, I should have gone back down the ladder and figured it out better. And, and uh, that feeling of sort of the wind is out of the sails and, and all. And I, I began to think about all of those Feelings and I know there are people that were let down after the election and they believed that this was going to happen or that was going to happen and they had prayed and they had asked the Lord and there are people that whatever and you build your expectation and you have that sense of I know I've asked the Lord and this is what's going to happen and there's that sense and I, I, this picture uh It doesn't really say let down, but you just get a sense of an empty field, the fall of the year. I don't know. I I just don't know what's going on in my life. And yet I thought, well, I'm going to look and see what the Bible says about being let down. And so... Uh, I actually found some kind of amazing things. One is the very first time that I found in the Bible that it talks about being let down. It's actually not even a person. It was uh, the, the servant of Abraham when uh, Abraham, uh, Sarah died, and he asked uh, his servant to go get a bride for his son, Isaac. And he says, go back up into, uh, back into our homeland and get a bride from Isaac and bring her back. And, and the servant uh, basically says, uh, I'm going to go. And the lady that will let down her jug and fill them up and, and water my camels is going to be the one that is going to be, I'm going to choose. And I, and I know I've, preached on that and all of you are here Bible scholars and you know that, uh, you know, if a jug holds five gallons of water, that's a pretty heavy jug. In those days, they weren't plastic jugs, they were pottery jugs. And so that would be a a heavy jar of water itself. I mean, just pick up a five gallon jug, uh, you know, and that goes in a water cooler, it's kind of heavy. But imagine if it was a clay pot, And so maybe five gallons, let's say she could do six gallons of water. And uh, she had to go to a well and she had to, each camel usually drinks, they say, about 30 gallons of water. And he had 10 or 12 camels or however many he had. And so imagine she's got to go, you know, five or six times per camel and water those camels and so what a servant what a you know she didn't know this guy he just shows up in a well and she's got a jug and so you can see why he would say that's that's really an important uh, attribute in having as a wife for Isaac some willing, woman that is willing to do that for somebody she really doesn't know, and sure enough, Rebecca was the bride that was brought back. But the first real verse that talks about people letting you down is is kind of uh, uh, it's a great story and uh, a story that really um, is is kind of. Pretty significant and important, and I had not studied it. I, I have. I know the story. I read the story. I tell it to the children, the grandchildren, but hadn't really delved into it like I did uh, just in the past few days, looking at it and. Part of what got my attention, and I'll I'll tell you later, was a sermon that several weeks ago, Brother Rogers uh, recommended that I listen to by the Mark Morgan, where it said the intersection of time and seasons. And I had listened to that sermon, and I had thought about some of the things that he had said, and one of the verses that he quoted, and I... I begin to realize that it really applied to this Rachel story, and I and I had not ever thought about it that way. But but the story you'll remember, um, I said Rachel Rahab rather. Um, you'll remember the story. It's found in Joshua the second chapter the spies go out into the promised land. Moses is dead and he sends the spies. And you remember what happens? They go to Jericho and all of a sudden the alarm is raised and they're going to find the spies. And so they start searching. And Rahab, who probably was not necessarily, you know, the fact that she had a home, it was in a prominent position, she had some sort of a business, whether that was uh, a house of ill repute, or whether it was we know they describe her as Rahab the harlot, and yet uh, whatever, that, that she had this, this sense of she somehow, these men ended up in her establishment in, in whatever manner. Maybe she rented rooms, I, we don't, I don't know. But she said, what an amazing, she had an amazing testimony to those men. She said these words to them. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. How did she know that? She was a woman that lived in Jericho, but she had just heard rumors about there is a people that are coming and their God is with them. I don't know what rumors she had heard. I don't know whether they were real stories, fake stories, defeating Egypt, the Egyptian army. I don't know. But she had a faith in God and really didn't know God. She had no, she wasn't raised in the church. She wasn't raised as a child that was part of, children of Israel. She had no relationship with God, but when she saw these spies, she said, I know that the Lord had given uh, you this land and that your terror is falling upon us. She realized that our whole city is scared to death of you guys. She said, I know, And, and I know we have a world that's Scared to death of corona, and I get it. I, I we're all being cautious. But it it was something that, that she recognized that she said, the inhabitants of the land are faint because of you. And she realized who these people were, and then she said, Swear unto me what? How? By the Lord. She had, she didn't know the Lord, but she said, if you will swear by the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that I offer you kindness, you're going to be kind to me. And you remember what they did. You can read, read it in Joshua, the second chapter. And what did, they, what did those spies tell her? Our lives for your life. Anybody that you have in your house. Remember? If you bring your father, your brethren, your sisters, all that you have... You'll deliver our lives from death. And the men answered, our life for yours. And when the Lord hath given us the land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. And so they let her. She let them down. She let them down. That's the first woman that let somebody down. by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall where she dwelt. You go on and read where they told her specifically when we come into the land which thou shalt bind this linen of of scarlet thread in the window which you did let us down by. Now I don't know if she had other ropes, other material, but it was no happenstance that she picked a red rope, a red scarlet thread, and she let them down with that. And they said, if you'll put that in the window when we come into the land, then bring your father, your mother, your brethren, all of them They'll be safe. If they leave the house, if they go out, the blood's on their own head. It's up to them. And we can't promise you anything unless you they stay in the house. And her response was, what? What? According to your word, So be it. Now, what does that next part of that verse say? She sent them away and they departed and what did she do? Immediately threw that scarlet cord out the window. Now, you read the story very carefully. She has told them Go run up into the hills and hide for three days. They'll quit searching for you. Then they'll come back. Then you can go back to the children of Israel. So they did that. So there was three days. Then they reported to Joshua. They told Joshua what had happened. They told Joshua how they had gotten this woman and what this woman had done for them. And Joshua agreed, said, all right, what are they, what's going to be the sign? It's going to be a scarlet thread. And then what did they do? The children of Israel came and marched around Jericho. How many days? Seven days. And on the seventh day, what happened? Walls came down. Now, imagine though, for at least 10 days, maybe 12 days, maybe 14 days. I don't know, it might have been for 20 days. She had this scarlet thread out of her window. Strictly on the word of faith that she believed, their God had given them the land. Wow. The faith that Rahab had is unbelievable. That's why it Because she was raised with other gods. She was raised, she was a a woman with means. She had plenty that she could have depended on and believed. And yet now, because of the word of a couple spies, two spies, three spies, whatever it was, she is going to let down a, a scarlet thread. And I am sure when people were passing by, what's that cord hanging out of the window? What's going on, Rahab? What are you doing? I don't know if anybody questioned her. I don't know if anybody made fun of her. I don't know if anybody asked her. I don't know what happened, but when the walls fell, somehow her house that was on the wall was not destroyed, and the Bible says that her house and all of those that were in her house Joshua saved alive, and we know that Rahab then later got into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wrote about Rahab in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, when he said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, and he talked about how that, Oh, sorry, I, I'm like. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And later in that, that 11th chapter, and I, I didn't put this scripture up there, but you, you go down in Hebrews the 11th chapter. You see, I don't know if you can switch over to this verse or not, where... Um, um, Is it in Romans or is it in uh, where it talked about Rahab let down a scarlet cord? Can you look that one up, Rahab? It's... um, In the New Testament, it might be in in Corinthians. I thought I had put it on my, my, uh... oh, here it is. Hebrews 11.31. Hebrews 11.31. I forgot to put that verse in there. That should have been the next verse. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. She had a piece about what she did. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. And we see how much faith it took for her to let down these spies, to hide the spies, her life was on the line, to let it down, to believe that if she hung the cord out. But this faith chapter opens... By saying, through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. And this was the verse that Brother Morgan had touched on that says, which, that so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith we understand worlds were framed by the word of God. Now there are several words in the Greek that are interpreted worlds, And one of them is cosmos, which means universe, planet, stars, for God so loved the world. It means cosmos, means he loves creation, he loves everything. Another verse that has world is okomini, which means inhabitants. When Jesus said, when the gospel is preached unto all the World, It did not mean the same as cosmos. It's not talking about we've got to evangelize Mars or we've got to evangelize the moon. or It's talking about all the inhabitants of the world. But this word, where it says, through faith we understand worlds were framed by the word of God, means is aeon, which means ages or time. And so, when Paul, probably the author of Hebrews, says, through faith we understand that time was framed by the word of God. What Brother Morgan was showing is the intersection of time and seasons, and it's a great lesson. You can get it on YouTube. But the point that I wanted to, you to understand, and not dealing with time and season, but to understand When Jesus said, they said, teach us to pray, and he goes to our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Whenever he ends the prayer, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever is aeon, time. Now why are you saying is that so important? Because what we realize what Paul was saying in Hebrews, "Through faith we understand the, work that time was framed by the word of God." What does that mean? It lets me know that I don't, I don't my time is in his hands. I can feel like, oh, I, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what I'm going to do. There is, I am thankful. THAT BY FAITH I REALIZE THE WORLD'S TIME is framed by the word of god and so i you know you can feel overwhelmed without you say i don't have enough time i don't have enough time i don't have enough energy i am so thankful that you know what i know that by faith the world was framed the time was framed so i can say lord i need you to help me you know i've got a lot to get done i only have a little bit of time give me strength you know let it go fast And by faith, that very sense of, just like Rahab, I I don't, you know, I, I don't know what possessed her. It was strictly faith that, you know, she could have said, well, I'll wait till I see him marching around. I'll wait till I see him in sight. Then I'll put the cord out. But the Bible said, what did she do? Immediately put that cord out of the window. What does that mean? I know, Lord. I don't know if the deliverance is coming today. I don't know if it's coming tomorrow. I don't know. She did not know. She was sitting in that. They're on the wall. They marched one day. Deliverance is here. Didn't happen. March second day. Deliverance is here. Doesn't happen. March third day. Deliverance is here. Nothing happened. I don't, they were lying. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to attack. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. But you know what? She still had faith. I don't know when it's coming, but I know that that their God is going to save. And they've given me their word. And because of that kind of faith, I did my part. I'm going to expect that God's going to do his part. And that's the kind of faith we have to have in God in this hour. I don't know what tomorrow may hold for any of us. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could say, well, let me tell you what. We're going to be back to normal in three weeks, three months, three years. Well, I don't even know what normal is anymore. But you know what? None of this is out of God's control. The time is in his hands. By faith, I believe that time was framed by the word of God. What does that tell me? I'm telling you, God, still, I still believe in revival. I still believe that the Lord's gonna fill. I still believe God's gonna save, gonna heal, gonna deliver. I still believe that's what's gonna happen. His word says it. He cannot lie. You say, oh, well, it's gonna happen in Africa or Ethiopia or some other church. You know what? I believe he's gonna pour his spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And I believe the time is in his hands that's why before that of course Paul had said in Hebrews the ninth chapter for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the book and all the people saying the blood of the new testament which God hath enjoined for you moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission what are you saying I'm saying it was not happenstance that it was a red scarlet cord, it symbolized the blood and I don't, she may not have even understood how they sacrifice and why but they said look, this scarlet cord that you let down, that you are willing to put your life at risk for ours, let me tell you, your sacrifice is not going to go unnoticed by almighty God, that cord is going to be what saves you and I, I, I do believe that today. I don't believe, I, I don't, you know, if the Lord is meticulous enough to know how many hair I have in my head, he sees every sacrifice, he sees every time I, by faith, I read the Bible, every time I obey, every time I get up, every time I pray, every time I give, every time I trust, every time I put the cord out of the window. Huh? So, uh, what's what's it going to matter today? This could be the day the walls come tumbling down. (laughs) Why should I pray today? Why should I hold on today? Why should I trust today? Nothing happened yesterday. By faith, by faith, by faith. What are you doing, Rahab? By faith, I'm going to let down. I'm going to let down the cord, and my life is connected to that. Of course, another and I. I, I There's so many in the word. Another one was when when Saul was going to fight David and he wanted to kill him, tried to throw a javelin at him, threw it through the, and he stuck the javelin in the wall and David fled and ran out and uh, and David went to his house and Michael, uh, David's wife, told him, said, if you don't let me get you out of here, you're going to die. And sure enough, she let David down through a window. That's in 1 Samuel, the 19th chapter And then uh, when Saul's messengers came, they said, we want David. And she said, well, he's sick. And she had put an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair. And, uh, you know, this letdown was for his deliverance. You wouldn't think that a letdown would be the way you get deliverance. But David's letdown by Michael was what brought him deliverance, and I don't know. Sometimes when we go through a letdown, all we see is being let down, and it might be the thing that God uses for our deliverance. They, some some Jewish scholars believe that it was uh, that after this incident that David wrote Psalms, the 59th chapter. You ought to read the whole chapter. I put some of the verses down, but it says, he said, deliver me from my enemies, oh my God. Defend me from those that rise against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Save me from bloody men. He goes on to say they come the house. And, and so that's why they think, you know, he was writing about the time that whenever Saul was trying to catch him and he said, deliver me, but because of his strength will I I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. You know how he ends it? But I will sing. Well, you're being let down in the middle of the night. You're hiding. But you know what? If that's the provision the Lord made for me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. At some point, no matter whether you are you feel like you're running for your life or you're escaping, I want you to know, I don't care what it is that you're going through and how it is that you feel like the Lord makes a way of escape, but always remember that, you know what, the vaccination won't save you and that this won't save you, the mask won't save you, I, but I'm going to tell you, the Lord is my defense. The The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my strength. You can go to the doctor. I go to him. You can get a vaccination. I've had one. You can do all of that. But you know what? Keep singing. The Lord is my defense. The Lord is my strength. Why? It's not that I, I will do my best to follow and I'll do my best to be safe and, you know, I'll do my best to put on a mask and I, I'll do my best to do all of those things, but I want you to know something. Ultimately, my life is in the hands of the Creator and I'm going to sing aloud of your mercy and of your grace You know, we've heard too many stories of people that all of a sudden got sick and they go and the doctor finds something else that's worse. You know, and if they would have said, oh Lord, why didn't you heal me of this? Well, because this is what was going on. I wanted you, oh hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Kings. This is a great letdown. Remember this one? The Moabites were conquering. And the Lord had made a promise to a prophet by the name of Elisha. I'll give you a double portion. So all the recorded miracles of Elijah, Elisha had done double except for one miracle. Elijah had seven, Elisha had 13. If Elijah had 20, Elisha had 39. Whatever the number was. He died one short of doubling Elijah. Remember the story? And so they had buried Elisha in a tomb and Some folks were running from the Moabites and they had somebody that was dead and they said, we got to get rid of this guy. We don't have time to dig a separate hole. So they saw Elisha's tomb and they uncovered it and threw him down in there. Remember what happened? Because God's word had said it's going to be double the miracles I want to tell you something. If God said it, know that it's going to happen. Whether I see it fulfilled or not. I've heard Brother Jim Hoskins and say repeatedly about the number of times his mother prayed for him. Huh? You say, oh, Pastor, but I want to see it in my lifetime. I would love to as well, but guess what? I'm here to tell you, His Word will not come back void. And the Bible says that they let down this body into this grave of Elisha, and lo and behold, the shock of shocks, Those bones had enough power in them that when that body hit those bones, I don't know what he said, probably scared those guys. Hey, why'd you throw me in this hole? What's going on? He revived, stood on his feet. Wow. Wow say, well, pastor, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I imagine that day he was glad he was let down. He didn't realize it was going to be his miracle. Jeremiah, another one that was let down. People wanted to kill him. You read it, horrible. They wanted to kill him. They put him down in a dungeon. The Bible says there was no water. He sank up into mire and the muck. And a a servant by the name of Abimelech came and said to the king, you gotta get him out of there. He's gonna starve to death. And they brought him out. Unfortunately, they kept him in the court of the prison. I mean, he was never fully delivered. But you know what? I I wanna tell you something. (laughs) the strangest way the very king that allowed them to throw him in there was the king that allowed him to get rescued. Isn't that crazy? The person that was responsible for seeing that he got thrown in the dungeon was the person that God changed his heart and he said, go get him out of there. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know what, but you know what, as I said, the Lord is always in control no matter where you are let down, what's going on, hang on to God, say, Lord, you know where I am, my feet are in the miry muck, I feel like there's no bottom but God, you know exactly where I am. And and the Bible goes through this whole detail. You read it in Jeremiah. They knotted cords together and made a sling and they dropped it down and said, put it under your arms. And They lifted him up because he was so, the mire was pulling him so hard and the muck was pulling him down and they got him out. Oh, I I, you know, and I'm only I'm, I'm telling you that because I want you to realize that no matter where you are, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how it seems like the muck and mire, God is still able to send deliverance from the very people that did it. Because, guess what? My life, your life is not in their hands. It's in his hands. say, well, of course, the one in the New Testament, you remember that one? Pharisees, doctors are sitting there, guy taking palsy, his four buddies tear off the roof of the house. And they let him down. But they let him down where? into the presence of Jesus, at the feet of the Lord. If you're gonna ever let somebody down, let them down into the presence of God. You know, if you say, I'm sorry, I can't help you, but I'm gonna keep praying for you. I'm gonna tell you where you can get help. You know, if somebody says, don't let me down now, I need you to bail me out, I need, you might say, I can't do it, but I can point you to somebody that can I'll bring you to church with me. I'll carry your bed. (laughs) I'll do everything I can to get you in the presence of God because I know if you get in his presence, you remember Luke, the fifth chapter? And you remember how the Lord healed him? First thing he said to him, he's laying there shaking. And what does the Lord do? son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know why he did that? For one reason, because he wanted all the Pharisees and all of those around him to go. Who can, who does he think he is forgiven sin? I don't know why, how long the man had had palsy. I don't know why, but I, what I do know is the Lord will use everything that happens to us and our lives as a teaching moment for somebody else. I don't understand it. You might as well recognize it. And he said, thy sins be forgiven. And then the Bible says he read their mind. And he said, because I know you're thinking right now, how can I forgive sins? And is it easier to forgive sins or to say, be healed? You know what I'm going to say to you, son? Rise take up your bed, walk. And the Bible says immediately, boom, there was that, take up your couch, go into your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he lay on, departed to his own house, doing what? Glorifying God, praising God. And they were all, amazed and they begin to glorify God and were filled with fear i you know i i don't know if that man realized that day what i'm going through the embarrassment the taking the roof off what these guys are doing that i have to go up there and get prayed for all the time and i don't get it and i'm just it's a nuisance and i don't want to be a bother and i don't want to have and i don't and i don't like this and i don't Who knows? This might be the way that people will all of a sudden begin glorifying God when they see the complete healing, transformation. Well, I don't want that. I don't want palsy in order to make everybody praise God. Well, nobody does, but sometimes our letdown is the testimony to others of the power of God when we were let down and they know it. Well, I I know you didn't expect that coming. And I've heard people here in our church and our church family, you know, say, man, when I saw what Brother Tim, Brother Tracy, Brother Rich Vance, Brother Sister Phillips, Brother Rogers go through the list, going through, man, it gives me faith. Man, if they can go through it, if they can hang on, If they can keep praising God, if they can keep worshiping God, nobody wants that. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want it for myself. Nobody wants it, but guess what? Sometimes it's my letdown that causes praise to break out when everybody sees the miracle that God has done. Another one found in the book of Acts. Saul was in Damascus, my new favorite city. The Jews took counsel to kill him. They watched the gates day and night. And what did his disciples do? Let him down by the wall in a basket. Now Paul talked about that in Corinthians. It's kind of an interesting series of verses because in the original text there was no chapters. So when you read the end of chapter 11, it went right into chapter 12. Paul is talking about the incident and he says in Damascus the governor under Aretas the king kept the city of Damascus with a garrison desirous to apprehend me and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. And the next word it's the 12th chapter, but as again, there weren't verses, there weren't chapters. The next word says, chapter 12, it is not expedient me for me doubtless to glory. And that's when Paul goes into, you know what? I was let down by a bunch of men and then the Lord picked me up into the third heaven. They were trying to save me. Little did I know that I was going to have this revelation and mystery. And he says... I I don't know if I was caught up into paradise or what, and I heard a man, I couldn't understand what he was saying, and that's when he says, I I don't want to glory in anything that I've done. I'd rather glory in my infirmities. He said, it is more glorious to go through, and then he talks about having asked the Lord, and you know, for a healing, and it didn't come, and he had heard the word, my grace is sufficient, and what Paul is saying is, I don't care what I go through, as long as the Lord is, is with me and the Lord picks me up and brings me into that place where I can feel his power I'm here to tell you every letdown that happens God is able to lift you up into the third heaven in the midst of your lowest time in the midst of your t- most difficult trial the Lord can wrap his arms around you and you can feel the peace of God and the Shekinah of God when you don't know what else to do there is a lifting up of the presence of God And unfortunately, sometimes we don't look for that place until we are at our lowest. Huh? When things are going great, and I got a wonderful job, and I got a great family, and I've got a lot of money, and I got a lot of this, I'm not crying out to God. I'm not seeking God. But when I am let down... Then I feel the presence of God lift me up. Oh, hallelujah. The last one, I know my time, found in the book of Acts, 13th chapter. Though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that Pilate, that he should be slain. They're preaching the sermon about Jesus and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, it doesn't say let down, but it says they took him down and the word took him actually means let him down. And if you've ever seen a play or drama, it shows them putting a long ribbon or long cloth and taking him off the cross and letting him down. you read that story I think it's important to remember it of course we just celebrated Easter the resurrection to read that story I was talking to my dad this week and he mentioned about Joseph of Arimathea amazing two individuals that were really not disciples per se They didn't know about the resurrection. They didn't know that Jesus necessarily was the Messiah. In fact, Nicodemus had said, we know you're a prophet. We don't have any record of what Joseph of Arimathea, how he felt. But what did Joseph of Arimathea do? The Bible says he was a counselor, a good man to just. And he had not agreed with the Sanhedrin to kill Jesus. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now he was still believing it was going to come in a natural kingdom. This man went to Pilate And what did he do? He begged for the body of Jesus. Why? Why? Why why would Joseph of Arimathea begged? I don't think Joseph believed he was going to be resurrected. I don't believe he thought, oh, I want to be the guy that gets my name in the Bible. Huh? This guy's going to start a new religion. I want to be one of the first. Huh? But there was just something about this man as he had heard him teach, as he had heard him preach, that he felt, you know, we've done him wrong. He was falsely accused. I want his body to be treated a little better, even though it's dead. I don't want him just to hang there for the birds and the fowls to become a spectacle. Pilate, please, can I have the body? Wow, wouldn't that be amazing if there was such a love, Brother Hanson? had all of you write cards wonderful. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had such a love for the body? I don't want to see anybody suffer. I, I want to make sure I'm encouraging everybody, reaching out. Huh? I see you're going through a bruising. I want you to know I'm with you. I see you're going through a trial. You're bloodied. You're... Right now, to be associated with this body, it's not real popular. Huh? Right? Well, man, we're blowing and going, and that's fun, and I want to be one where it's, we're all excited, jumping hoops and doing cartwheels. I do too, but I want to tell you, I want to be associated with the body of Jesus regardless. Huh? Of course, we have a local church body, but he went to Pilate and begged, and the Bible says he took it down, he let it down, and he wrapped it in linen, and he said, I got a tomb that's never, it was for me, I'll put him in my tomb, hewn out of a rock. Let you put a stone and the guards there. Joseph, Nicodemus, the Bible in another place said they brought how many, hundreds of pounds? 100 pounds, how many spices and things did they bring? To anoint the body, to embrace that, to say, "Oh, here it is—a broken, bruised, lifeless." So, no, it's not a lot of fanfare. Nobody marched in and said, "Go, Joseph, go! You're awesome, man! You're taking Jesus. That's awesome. You put him in, a, wrapped him in linen." Oh, now. You know, 2,000 years later, if we could just have the shroud that touched his body, whoa! But then it wasn't so, whoa, but that's how much he loved it. What Joseph didn't realize is, you know what, I am going to be part of the greatest miracle, the resurrection of Jesus by getting him off the cross getting him in the tomb where he could be for three days before Resurrection Sunday. It was not uncommon for the Romans to leave him there a week, a month, several weeks. But this man went in and begged for the body, not knowing that his act of letting Jesus down and bringing him and wrapping him and putting him in a tomb was going to be the thing that would usher in Easter Sunday morning. Don't ever feel bad for anything that you do for the body of Christ. You may nobody may recognize it. Nobody may pat you on the back. No, but if I'm doing it as under the Lord, if I pick up a songbook, if I open a door, if I turn out a light, I can go through and name people that have vacuumed and cleaned and dusted and uh, I, what, what are you doing it i'm doing it for the church for the body what are you doing why are you doing that because i'm so thankful for the body i'm going to try to encourage somebody i want to pray for somebody i want to be there i want to be there i don't need prayer but i will go and pray for somebody else i don't need the house of god i i can do it, you know and, and we're we're great i'm you know be honest with you, you know, all of us at times, I'll just soon stay at home. I don't need to go. I don't need to. Guess what? Maybe I can encourage somebody. Maybe I can pray for somebody. Well, why are you putting yourself out? Because of the body. I'm doing it for the body. I know it's Wednesday night. We're here and it's a Wednesday night crowd Everybody's here because of the body. But what a privilege it is. And don't ever feel like you don't know what part of a miracle you may be that somebody comes in one night and because there's a group of folks that are here praising God, worshiping God, that they leave transformed and changed and delivered and set free. All because somebody loved the body enough to say, I'll do my part. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand.